1: We don't bring any life at all to the church. The church is, is the life. still gives us the life. Live. The reality is, he is all things beautiful, capital B. And so anything that is authentically beautiful draws us, even if we don't realize it, to God.
2: <laughs> and good morning and welcome to Real Presence Live on this glorious, glorious Thursday morning. Uh, what a beautiful day. I'm one of your hosts this morning, Brad Gray.
3: And I'm Janine Vitson, and it is beautiful, and man, Brad, with the way the wind is blowing, I think that the Holy Spirit, he's just absolutely, coming a little absolutely. early, right? Yeah. Actually, he's always here, don't that's, get me that's wrong. That's true,
2: but. that's true, he never makes a departure. <laughs> my family's excited today because um, it's the 25th, and so my wife and I were married on uh, March 25th, and so in our family, the 25th is always like a little mini holiday, so the kids kind of get get things off, and it's, it gets to be a, just a fun play day, so it's, it's a holiday, for the Gray family today, so it's a it's a good day.
3: Oh, that's wonderful that yeah. you ce- celebrate every month. Yeah, you know, on that day, that's very cool, very intentional in your marriage commitment. That's so beautiful.
2: Well, it is just, uh, gosh, what a what a wonderful wonderful day it is. Uh, it's just so so um, joyful to have the the sun shining, to have this this um, this experience of God's glory, of God's grandeur, and God's presence with us, right? Um, and so it's we're just excited to be starting off today with uh, in his presence in the the glow of the sun.
3: Absolutely. So let's begin in prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord God, as we approach the most holy feast of Pentecost, we pray that we will grow in humility and compassion for our human family as we renew our awareness and desire to use the gifts you have Blessed us with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We pray that they will produce good fruits. That as we reflect on the gift of wisdom, it's God's wisdom, it's your wisdom, not our own. As we f- reflect on the gift of counsel, that we can be filled with compassion and humility and how we guide others. As we reflect on the fear of the Lord, That awe and wonder is what will draw us close to you. As we reflect on piety, that we grow in reverence and charity. As we reflect on understanding, that it's done with unconditional love, your unconditional love. As we reflect on knowledge, let it be yours and not our own. We have a lot of experts in the world, we just need you being our expert. And as we reflect on the seventh fortitude, that it's your strength and courage that sees us and others through our sufferings, that we may all be made worthy of your promises, the promises of Christ eternally with him in heaven and how we live our life in this world to get to the next. Amen. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Spirit. amen.
2: Janine, that was so beautiful. Thank you for... Thank you for sharing that with us.
3: Oh, well, it's just on my heart this mm. morning.
2: Oh, man, you can feel the Holy Spirit present absolutely and and like you mentioned, we're we're deep in the midst of that preparation for the great solemnity of of Pentecost and for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. This is such such an awesome time of year. Mm-hmm.
3: It is. And it and it needs to be every time of year. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. we we celebrate it to be aware, you know, the mm-hmm. birthday of the church, but we need to like you celebrating uh your marriage mm. every month on the 25th well we need to really be reflecting on those gifts that god has given us Amen. and use them for him Amen. and his glory
2: and speaking of the, the gifts that god has given us we have uh, our first guest dr jay richards is going to help to invite us into this this wonder and appreciation of the gifts that god has given us all around us good morning to you dr richards good morning thank you so much for being with us this morning
1: Yeah, my pleasure. Good to be with you.
2: Yes. Well, Dr. Richards, as we're getting started, why don't you just begin by uh, sharing a little bit about yourself. Let us know uh, who you are, where you're from, what you do, those sorts of things.
1: Absolutely. Um, So I am a sort of shameless generalist. I was uh, faculty, actually, at Catholic University of America for many years Mm -hmm. here in Washington, D.C., but I've had a long-standing affiliation with the Discovery Institute in Seattle, in fact, going back over 20 years. Discovery Institute, among many other things, is the home of the intelligent design movement. And so, so the first half of my career, I focused on questions of purpose and intelligence and the intersection of faith um, and natural science. I'm now full-time at the Heritage Foundation, actually, in Washington, mm. D.C., and fighting um, the gender ideology battle, which is wow. a very dark topic. But yeah. it's, it's separate from what we're going to talk about this morning. Um, which is this new book, God's Grandeur, uh, that I contributed to? Which is really a kind of Catholic case uh, for intelligent design. So it's a it's a compilation of of essays, all by Catholics, making the case in philosophy, in theology, uh, and in natural science for intelligent design and purpose in the universe. And this is a it, it's a exciting and perennial topic, but also a controversial one that a lot of people don't understand. Mm.
2: Yeah, I I know that the the um, the issue of intelligent design... Well, let's, let's begin with this. Uh, not everyone may know what that means by intelligent yeah. design.
1: So intelligent design just means this, at least as intelligent design theorists use the term. Uh, intelligent design is the idea that in the natural world is best explained as the result of purpose and intelligence rather than purely blind material processes. Mm-hmm. So in other words, it's not just that the universe exists for a purpose but that if we look at it carefully we can actually see signs of that purpose in the natural world as opposed to just say through the eyes of faith. so that's the idea that's what makes it controversial because the idea is that if scientists studying the natural world are actually open to that evidence they will find evidence that that things exist for a purpose and so that's that's what makes it controversial it's not controversial if you say well i'm as a matter of faith, I believe God created the world, but it doesn't, won't make any kind of predictions about what you're going to find in the world. Uh, people, most atheists are even fine with that. But to say that, no, I think purpose, not only real, but I think you can actually detect it hmm. when you're studying nature as long as you're open to that. That challenges sort of materialism on what they take to be their own turf, which is, is nature. And it also, implies that you could actually sort of know. You could know by looking at the world that it exists for a purpose as opposed to just just sort of taking that on faith rather than knowledge.
3: Yeah, that's such a great way that you have defined this. And and purpose is so lacking in so many ways, you know, uh, when it comes to human flourishing right now. So many people, young people especially, just... Lack purpose and, and meaning in their life And so if you can better Help educate the, the beauty Of God's design Intelligent design and, and through that lens Oh, that is just incredible um, So as far as What is the teaching of the church on evolution Do these two connect with each other?
1: They do And so of course It depends on what you mean by evolution And this is honestly half of the debate is figuring out what people are talking about when they say evolution. Because evolution can just mean that things change over time. In other words, that the natural world has a history and different uh, systems and different animals and plants that existed at different times. And So that's a kind of non-controversial definition of the term. It can also mean uh, something like common ancestry, that some or all organisms share a common ancestor. And then it can mean this kind of narrowly Darwinian sense, which is both, that organisms share a universal common ancestor. So everything shares a common ancestor, but also that the results of changes and adaptation is entirely the result of natural selection acting on random genetic mutations. In other words, an entirely blind process. And that, so you can see how depending on which definition you're going with, the answer is going to be different. Obviously, there's nothing contrary to Catholic teaching about, you know, that things have changed over time or well, even that natural selection explains some things, or that some organisms share a common ancestor. Mm-hmm. It's this very specific claim about universal common ancestry tied to this material, mecha- this mechanism that explicitly denies design. That's just logically incompatible with the Catholic claim and the Christian claim that the universe exists for a purpose. And so you know not even God can design an An undesigned process to get directed, undirected process, and so either the nature is the result of purpose or it's not. Uh, and if your definition of evolution includes this kind of purposelessness, um, then that's not going to work,
2: right? I love that. Um, how you're you're bringing these two together the nature and the divine action, like it seems like sometimes. there can be a tendency to pitch yourself entirely on one side or the other. Uh, you know, one yeah. side being, you know, that, that everything was complete random chance and just happened by, like. by happenstance. The other one being like God brought creation out like fully mature as like a, a, you know adult human being being born out of the womb, right? Like instead of that, there is yeah. a process of growth. And I remember back in the, the late 90s, there was, when I was at uh, Franciscan University of Steubenville studying, I remember it was a big stir because John Paul was reported to have said that evolution is more than a theory. When, in fact, what he had said was, there's more than one theory of evolution. Do you remember that kind of buzz yeah. oh, around that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so, um, you know, in fact, you can find many of the same kinds of things from uh, Pope Benedict XVI when he was as Joseph Ratzinger. In fact, he wrote, in some ways, of all of our modern popes more explicitly in a more detailed way about this issue. In fact, in his inaugural sermon when he uh, became pope, this, this famous line: You are not some meaningless, pro- you know, product of evolution. You are purposive. You mm-hmm. are intended. You are loved. Very explicitly said: We're not the result of a blind process.
2: Right?
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, whatever else you want to say, the problem is, is of course, um, nobody puts Newton fish on cars. Nobody puts Einstein fish on cars. They put Darwin fish on cars. Mm-hmm. The reason is the whole point of Darwin's mechanism was to replace teleology, replace this kind of Manifest design that you see in the biological world with this blind process. And that's been the debate from 1859 to the present. No one denies that natural selection explains some things. Nobody denies that there are random genetic mutations. The question is okay, how much does that actually explain? Um, is it sort of tweaking around the edges, the so called survival of the fittest? Or does it really explain where organisms came from and, and all of their amazing complexity? The, the arrival of the fittest and i think if you actually look at the evidence objectively what you'll find is that darwin's mechanism is really good for explaining things like uh, antibiotic resistance in bacteria or the fluctuation of finch beak thicknesses on the galapagos islands which is uh, uh, those are just sort of minor changes within a species Mm. but you want to get major adaptive complexity uh there's Scads of evidence that natural selection just doesn't have the capacity to explain that. And so what we have is a theory that's sort of suited for, dis- for explaining some sort of narrow details around the edges being blown up into this macro theory of everything simply because it carries so much metaphysical weight. In other words, it, it, it does the job for materialists of giving them what they take to be a good explanation for what would otherwise be just a kind of obvious evidence of purpose. And a lot of Catholics sort of integrate that into their thinking and so they they, they get confused.
2: Mm. Hmm. Yeah.
3: Oh, no, no, it's, we're both, like, we have lots of questions for you because it's so awesome it's a battle to battle going your, on over uh, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you go ahead, Brad. I'm going to defer to my wonderful just, co-host. I was just going to say,
2: Dr. Richards, uh, so you contributed to a book, God's Grandeur, uh, that the, the primary editor is Anne Gager. Um, she's a yeah. colleague of yours. Tell us a little bit about this, because this is a response to this rejection of intelligent design, right?
1: Exactly. And so, there, of course, there's a rejection among materialists of intelligent design, but there's also... But for those of us Catholics that have been in this space, we are quite aware of the Catholics that criticize it for kind of a couple of different reasons. Some, of course, if they're kind of a liberal Catholic, it's the same as the kind of liberal Protestants, like they've made their peace with the culture around them, which is overwhelmingly materialistic, and so they don't want anything that kind of upsets the apple cart. But there's other, you know, fairly orthodox Catholics that just think intelligent design, Is some weird Protestant thing, or they think that intelligent design theorists are saying something that we're not really saying. Mm. And so this book is really designed both to present a positive case for design, but also to respond to fellow Catholics who think that for some reason, intelligent design theory is not appropriately Catholic.
2: I think that's fantastic, and I want to go into that more. We're going to have to take a quick break, but I I think this, this is such an important point because we can think that it's just... Uh, intelligent design; those who uh, believe in and hold to God's God's action in creation, versus those who are pure materialists. But th- there is uh, there's another area of the of the battle, right? So yeah. we're going to take a quick break. On the other side of that, let's go into that a little bit more. But uh, yeah. we're going to be back after just a couple minutes here with more real presence lives. Stay with us.
0: For centuries, healthcare has been central to the healing ministry of the Church. Today's technologies offer exciting possibilities, but also serious moral questions. More than ever, we need healthcare leaders who serve with integrity and conviction. The University of Mary answers the call to prepare leaders anchored in moral courage in a breathtaking range of programs from bioethics to nursing. Visit Catholicprofessional.life.
2: Hi, this is Ben Frost from Holy Spirit Church in Virginia, Minnesota. I work with adult evangelization. I'm also a father of five children. And for me, I'm just so blessed to have Real Presence Radio in our area. Because the reality is, is life gets very busy. Uh, The many blessings of working in the church and also raising five children and being a husband. But sometimes I just need times to refuel and to just be present to the Lord. So for me, it's just such a blessing to go into my car in the busyness of my day and to turn on Real Presence Radio. And it really renews me. It fills me with the Holy Spirit It helps me to be a better father, helps me to be a better husband, and it helps me to be a better worker for our church. So I'm just very blessed that we have Real Presence Radio and we continue just to pray for the Lord's blessings and support for all of their amazing work.
0: Searching for more great Catholic content? Visit our website at realpresenceradio.com. Find Catholic news you can trust, information about events coming up in the local area, and the latest on what's happening at the RPR Network. And don't forget that you can listen to any of our stations around the clock from anywhere in the world. Need prayers for someone or something in your life? You can submit those through our online form for the entire family to pray for. Real Presence Radio, your family of faith and hope. Online at realpresenceradio.com. You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network.
3: Welcome back to Real Presence Live. My name is Janine Bitson. And I'm Brad Gray. And we are having a wonderful conversation with Dr. Jay Richards. He's unpacking a book uh, called God's Grandeur by Ann Gager and is just really fascinating I, we need like all day to yeah. continue to talk about we're both kind of giddy book. on this
2: this side of the microphone yeah. where it's like we want to go so many different directions here
3: yeah i mean brad has like the philosophy psychology and i have like the environmental studies and biology so i mean we're like really excited on this side of the mic cool <laughs> it
2: is. I mean, it's fun because I, this, these aren't irrelevant questions, right? The, the fact no. of the matter of, like, is there, is there purpose in my life and in, in creation and existence is the most foundational point. Otherwise, it radically impacts the way we live our lives.
1: Um, Absolutely. I mean, it also is sort of public philosophy because, you know, as Catholics, we believe there's a natural law that everyone knows, right? You can know it even without special revelation. And that's foundational to our moral views. And at the same time, it, it, look, if the natural world itself looks like it's a product of blind processes, right, then you sort of undercut the whole moral framework. And so these things, it might seem obscure to be talking about whether the universe had a beginning or not, but it actually applies ultimately to your personal.
2: And I think there's another element too. Like as, as Catholics, sometimes we can be cornered, hedged into these corners where we have to, uh, we, Uh, are forced to adopt these positions that like well okay i have my faith which actually doesn't coincide with reality like but that's just the thing i'm supposed to believe right like as if our faith is just kind of a make-believe type of system that we we do to make us feel better but you know yeah so that doesn't my faith doesn't really apply to the real world or or i don't bring my faith into politics or these sorts of things that make us live a double life of mentally speaking um and and we don't they they all resonate right
1: they resonate, yeah, and that's the problem. Is especially um, Catholics that are maybe in academic uh, settings, or you, you know, you have higher education in which okay, so much of what you think you know or have learned so contrary to the faith, and so you end up schizophrenic, where you just have these compartments. You have your faith world over here, and you have the kind of real world, you know, that science describes over here. Well, that's a very, very unstable way of living and completely unnecessary. Mm-hmm. As long as you interpret the book of nature and the book of Scripture correctly, uh, they reinforce each other. They're actually compatible.
3: And and speaking of the book of Scripture, uh, you know, the story of creation found in Genesis is often a stumbling, you know, has stumbling points for many people. So how do we reconcile Genesis with scientific knowledge?
1: Well, just as I said before, it involves figuring out what the real scientific knowledge is, and figuring out exactly what Scripture says. And so sometimes the interpretive problem is on the side of Scripture, where we misinterpret what the text says, mm-hmm. but very often the interpretation is also it's bad on the science side, because there's a difference between the evidence of nature and whatever kind of official scientific statement is. Those are two different things. And so certainly on, on, on the Scripture side, a lot of Christians, get themselves tied into knots because they think that Genesis 1, for instance, teaches that God created the world in six 24-hour Earth days. Mm -hmm. Now, God has days in Genesis 1. The text doesn't tell us much, but the days uh, of God's creation actually are set on day one when he separates his, you know, uh, let there be light, so he creates light, whatever this is, and he separates the light from the darkness, and then that circumscribes these days of creation. But we know it's not Earth days because... The sun and the moon don't even show up until day four. And so the lightness, light and dark for us has to do with the Earth's rotation around its axis, you know, so that we see the sun part of the day. But it, God's days, whatever they are, aren't these regular Earth days. So right there in the text, if you read it carefully, the text is telling you, okay, God has these mysterious days of creation that we need to look into, but don't, don't just assume these are sort of six 24-hour Earth days, because that's, that's actually not what the text says.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating, because we, as you know, 21st century Westerners, we have adopted a perspective on all of history that is very scientific. Um, and so yeah. we ask questions that weren't asked back in the times of antiquity. Like, we want to know how a thing happened. They didn't care about that. They wanted to know why a thing happened. What is the purpose that's being conveyed? And I, I remember uh, my, one of my scripture professors talking about how these, these six uh, days of creation followed by the seventh were, you know, the tradition was that Moses had written the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, right? right? And at the time of Moses, one of the things that took place over seven days was a marriage, a wedding. Like, mm. you had yeah. six days of preparation, and then finally on the seventh day, the, the bride and groom came together and consummated their marriage. They rested together. And, and they were brought together, and, and that in many ways, Moses is depicting this as, as a divine marriage with humanity, that God yeah. wants to marry us. And if you're it coming at it, end. like, what's, what's it look like if a video camera's rolling? You're com- you're not even in the same realm as what the author intended to say, right?
1: Yeah, that's right. Of course, I mean, the, the kind of primary analogy is the work week, right? So that we have a work week, um, and God has a work week, and as you said, there's also this uh, it actually restrict, <laughs> re- reflects the, the way in which the sort of mapping uh, of Jewish marriage, all those kinds of things, the sort of resonances are there. And then also, day seven doesn't have an ending like mm-hmm. the first six days, right? And so the implication is that we're sort of in day seven. So whatever God did at the beginning um, is not exactly the same as the way things are going up now or the way things will happen at the very end of time, uh, and we should not expect that. And I do think it gets a little more complicated than just the separation of the, the, the how and, and the why, because, of course, the claim that God created the world, that has have that has empirical content. In other words, it sure. makes a difference about the world. And that's what's so exciting about the evidence from nature, is that, you know, until the 19th century, we believed in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, but it had direct evidence that the universe had an age, that it had a beginning only in the 20th century with the discoveries initially of the astronomer Edwin Hubble that we discovered that the universe is expanding, which implies that if you rerun the tape, there's a time in the finite past when the universe wouldn't have existed. So Christians will get caught up arguing about the exact age Mm -hmm. of the universe and not realize that the claim that it has an age is itself hugely significant theologically, because it means that nature can't be self-explanatory because it began to exist. And that was something that was discovered by studying nature, hmm. which is a confirmation of this fundamental truth that God's the ultimate reality, not nature. Do you and go then, into
2: this, this whole point in the book, or does the, God's grandeur go absolutely, into it? Oh, Absolutely. Oh, man, that sounds fascinating. So we've
1: got, yeah, we've got chapters about cosmology and the cosmic beginning, about so called fine tuning of the laws and concepts of physics that were very precisely fine tuned and set up for the existence of life, the origin of life itself, the origin of biological complexity. The origin of human beings, the origin of consciousness, of our moral knowledge, of our grasp of beauty. All of these things, uh, we think, are they're, they're sort of pointers, signs of design within the natural order. And it doesn't mean every part of nature is as obvious as every other part, but there are these places where n- n- purpose uh, and design, I think, sort of screen out uh, for an explanation, and they're explanations that go beyond the kind of standard... Um, sort of matter and motion explanations very common in natural science.
3: Mm. I, this is just so wonderful. Yeah. I, I yeah. just, um, you know, you know, in your heart, in your mind, in your soul, you you feel that reality of God, and and there's so many people who to combine the two is when you're going to mm. have a much more deeper intimate relationship with our awesome God. Mm-hmm. You know,
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, that is honestly, that's that's the message of this book. because I mean, I know we all know people who uh, very often, maybe they're either raised in the church, maybe they both confirmed and then they went off to college and they lost their faith. And if you ask them, they'll very often say, well, it just didn't really hold up. You know, it's like the stuff I learned in my biology class or in physics or in sociology, you know, or somehow uh, taught me that, you know, reality is actually quite different than what the faith taught. And in fact, what they did, needed to do is have, they had just, just enough education to be dangerous, but not enough to be able to sort of look at it critically and say, look, there's a difference between the evidence of nature with a materialistic gloss that is framed as materialists would have it and the evidence of nature itself. And that's it's one of the messages of this book. Okay, let's look at the real evidence, disentangle it from the kind of theoretical assumptions that, that lead it toward a kind of materialistic conclusion. And say, let's just look at the natural world with open eyes and follow the evidence where it leads and if we do that what we discover is that nature points beyond itself mm-hmm. it's not self-explanatory
3: so i'm sorry we're talking over each other again cuz again we're just so excited here but why why do you think that change occurred you know and and what keeps many modern scientists away from religion why what happened in our society where it wasn't the case in the past no.
1: No, not at all. In fact, if you look at the origins of natural science, almost all the subdisciplines were started by CSD Christians, but now science is overwhelmingly materialistic. And it's a, it's a mix of confusing materialistic ex- explanations of science itself, which is something that did happen. And then it was actually Darwin himself in the 19th century who said, no, a properly m- science scientific explanation must only appeal to material causes. And so, whereas before, People looked at biology and said, okay, they're fine sort of accepting that this thing looks designed, maybe it is designed. He said, no, to do real science, you have to have a materialistic explanation. So in other words, he not only provided a materialist explanation for, for the biological world, but he said that the alternative, right, that its purpose, that's not a scientific explanation. You can have that in your private religious beliefs. And so so really a shift from the very understanding of the nature of science itself so what we're saying is, look, you're going to actually to understand nature better. You're going to actually have to be able to appeal to purpose as well.
2: Mm-hmm. Wow, Doctor Richards, this is this is so fun. I would love to keep going on this. We are running out of time, so I do want to mention that again. This book is God's Grandeur. Uh, the the managing editor was uh, Ann Gager, G A U G E R. So that's uh, you can pick that up. Where, where can you find this book, Doctor Doctor
1: Richards? Actually, any, any place you can get. Any place you can get books like this, so certainly Amazon, you can also get it at the Sophia Institute Press website.
2: Sophia Institute. Great. Are there other resources related to intelligent design that you would recommend to us?
1: Oh, absolutely. And so I've got a book called The Privileged Planet with astronomer Guillermo Gonzalez. It sort of focuses on the physics side. There are great books by Stephen Meyer, such as Signature in the Cell and his new book called The Return of the God Hypothesis, which is a big kind of bundling of all these arguments.
2: Hmm. Hmm. That is fantastic well I, I sure hope that we could have you on again I would love I can see absolutely how this all plays into your work with gender ideology with the Heritage Foundation because there's just such a massive rejection of of science right of, of what yes. what natural what biology tells us what you know what we see with our our eyes around it so I'd, I'd love to have you back again sometime to to dive into that area as well
1: oh absolutely anytime great to be with you
3: Well, thank you so much for joining us. We're going to have to take a quick break, but on the other side of the break, uh, we're going to have more wonderful discussions uh, about the beauty of music, sacred music. Mm -hmm. So stay tuned and and, uh, come back and join us, please.
0: Live, engaging, and local, this is Real Presence Live